Hey there, my name's Paul and this is Out of Neutral, a weekly tune-up where we look to the Bible to get in gear and follow Jesus into the life he came to make possible. Today I want to talk about what I'll call the preacher's dilemma. You can hear a thousand sermons without ever really thinking about what the goal of a sermon is. But the more clear you are in what a sermon is all about, the better you understand what a preacher is trying to do, and the more discerning you can be when you listen. Understanding the preacher's dilemma may also make you a better Sunday school teacher or youth leader. It might help you assess the books you read and how you read the scripture yourself. Let me explain the preacher's dilemma with the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife as a case study. They say that familiarity breeds contempt. But with the Bible, familiarity often breeds laziness. The first problem with the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife is that everyone assumes that they know what it means. The Sunday school story and our own casual reading seem to present a classic story of seduction. So we don't feel we need to put that much effort into actually studying the passage. And when we do study it, we focus on what we know and look for details to support our assumptions. When preparing to preach on Genesis 39 recently, I listened to three or four sermons and read three others. The worst of them just took the theme of sexual temptation from the text and spent most of the message railing about why adultery is wrong and what can be done about it. Others spent more time in the text and pointed to specific things that Joseph did to resist temptation, called for people to imitate him. Often, there was some attempt to show how Joseph's obedience points to Jesus or how Jesus helps us when we fall. The main problem with the sermons was that they just focused on the part of the story that everybody knows. And the main message was, be like Joseph, because sin is bad. Is that all there is? If you don't assume you already know what the passage is teaching, you're going to invest time in studying the passage carefully and listening to what other scholars have written. With Genesis 39, commentators will point out that the passage begins and ends with repeated statements of the Lord's presence with Joseph. In fact, some scholars see this as so crucial that they point it to it as the heart of the chapter's message. It would have been very tempting for me to follow Sidney Grenanius, for example, and conclude the chapter is seeking to, quote, assure God's people of his presence with them in times of prosperity as well as adversity. To him, Joseph's resistance of temptation is only important to show how God is still with us when we suffer unjustly. But a preacher's goal isn't just to preach what your favorite scholar tells you. The preacher's dilemma is to study a passage of scripture until you see the clues and emphases that the biblical author has given so you can feel confident about what he intended to express. The story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39 is immediately preceded by another story of sexual sin in Genesis 38. The fact that Moses lined up a story about Judah easily giving in to sexual, sexual temptation in Genesis 38 and Joseph fiercely resisting sexual temptation in Genesis 39 can't be coincidental, especially since the story with Judah seems to interrupt the flow of Joseph's story. We know that Hebrew writing uses repetition for emphasis, and one of the favorite forms begins and ends with a repeated emphasis and delivers a climax in the middle. The repetition of the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph in verses 2 and 21, and the Lord was with him in verses 3 and 23, is Moses' way of indicating this. He wants us to consider the connection between the Lord's presence with Joseph 
and his resistance of temptation. Now, the message could just be, if the Lord is with you, you'll be able to just say no. But that wasn't true of Israel or David or Peter. It's often not true in our experience either. I'm convinced that the connection was that Joseph resisted sin by learning to treasure the presence of God in his life. If God hadn't come into his life by grace, showed him the power of his presence and blessing, Joseph would have likely fallen just as Judah had. This seems to be illustrated and highlighted in the text for us by the fact that Joseph's coat is mentioned five times in Genesis 37, first as a symbol of his father's love and then of his brother's jealousy. In Genesis 39, Joseph learns to depend on the Lord's presence instead of his special coat. Then, when temptation comes and his master's wife tries to grab his new coat at the climax of the seduction account in verses 12 and 13, he's able to leave his coat behind and choose loyalty to the Lord instead. It's still a message about resisting sin, but it deals with the heart, not just the behavior. It addresses the why, not just the how. It starts with the grace of God, not just the effort of man. As you listen to a sermon, don't just ask yourself, did it speak to me? Or was it relevant or funny or convicting? Remember the preacher's dilemma. Ask yourself, is this what the passage is actually teaching? And when you read the Bible or teach it to others, don't assume you know what it means or just teach what your favorite pastor said. Look for clues in the passage itself that show you what God is trying to say. It's God's word, not ours, that we're seeking to follow. That's all for this time. Today's video has helped you get out of neutral. Leave a comment, share it with your friends, and subscribe to join us on the journey.